This is the Toasted Sister Podcast, radio about Indigenous food. I'm Andy Murphy. ago, news broke out about a non-Indigenous Chicago-based poke company that told other restaurant owners to stop using the words Aloha Poke in their names. And that's because their name is Aloha Poke Company, and they trademarked the words Aloha Poke. And as you can imagine, this still has many Indigenous people angry about cultural appropriation and food appropriation. For Native Hawaiians, the word aloha is a very common and very special word, and many Hawaiian restaurants have it in their title. And to be told to stop using it is like a slap in the face. The Office of Hawaiian Affairs issued a statement last week saying it was appalled by the Chicago restaurant's attempt to assert control over traditional language and culture. They said they're reaching out to key stakeholders to discuss possible solutions. And the statement also says that the heart of the issue are trademark laws that present substantial challenges for protecting our culture and promoting its use. And before I get started, I'd like to play an audio clip from the August 6th episode of Native America Calling. They had Tasha Kahele on the show. She's the owner of Lay's Poke Stop in Anchorage. And she is one of the Kanakamaoli restaurant owners who got a letter from Aloha Poke Company in Chicago. The letter told her to change her restaurant's name, which was originally Aloha Poke Stop. Uh, we just couldn't afford any kind of legal action. We just opened our business. Like I said, we are a small, very small business here in Anchorage. And uh, we were uh, struggling as it, as it was, you know, just getting open and, and trying to get, um, get back on our feet financially from that. That was tape from Native America Calling. That's where I work full-time as a producer. My guest today is Dr. Kalamani Heyu. She's a Kanakamaoli physician and community organizer. I think uh, the world knows what you think about this issue with um, Aloha Poke. You said several times Aloha Poke doesn't have any Aloha. Uh, and it's been a couple of days since the news broke about this issue. Uh, what What are your thoughts today? Well, I, I think that what has been demonstrated so far from this incredible outpouring of support and and true aloha that people have been expressing for and by the people of Hawaii for, you know, what is one of our core values as Kanaka Maoli has really resonated uh, on, a, on really a global level. And I, I think that the only reason why that resonates is because it's not just the story of one community of people in the middle of the Pacific. It's really the story of what a lot of people are feeling uh, in so many different ways. Right now, we've got almost 150,000 signatures on our petition asking for Aloha Poke Company to remove Aloha from their name. There's multiple reasons why it's resonating so much. And first of all, you have, of course, the very clear inappropriately cultural appropriation of Kanakamali culture. And, and as Indigenous people know, we're constantly being preyed upon, exploited, 
and um, and basically mined for all types of things. First, it was our land, then it's our waters and our resources, and now at this point. We've been fighting for our very culture, language, food, and soul itself. And so here we have that aspect has resonated with people. The reason why, another reason why it's resonated so much is what, especially in the United States, is the fact that there's so many people, small businesses, uh, regular, average, everyday citizens who are experiencing what it's been like to live increasingly under corporate control and exploitation. So it's what hasn't practiced in than indigenous communities and peoples of color has really now uh, spread out as we have mourned for decades. Uh, the same type of abuses that they practice on us will then be perpetrated against the common peoples. And so what we're seeing right now is people in communities all over the United States are really feeling what's happening because not only are they have uh, on a regular basis getting exploited by corporations with increasingly uh, more control and uh, scary bureaucratic processes, but uh, we have these communities all over the place that are experiencing in particular uh, what we articulated in Chicago. Chicago and in places in the Bay Area have made a lot of news recently because they are the I guess the head of the spear with the you know, the very violent uh, gentrification of these areas, which were traditionally places where poor and people of color are living. This cry out against Aloha Poke, Poke Company, I believe, resonated uh, in Chicago, too, because Aloha Poke Company represents, and right now I think is become the face of gentrification within Chicago itself. Chicago, the people of Chicago have been fighting for many years right now to fight the takeover of their homes and the being getting driven out from the communities they themselves have built. So what I see is happening here and why it's gone so much further than anybody thought it would happen is because in Chicago, Aloha Poke Company is in all of these white enclaves. So there's so many different elements of praxis or, or, uh, or interconnectedness and uh, intersectional struggle here that I'm, I'm not surprised that it has gone so viral. Right, right. And that was, um, that's a question I want to ask uh, a little bit later, but I want to ask you this. Um, why do you think uh, Kanaka Maoli restaurant owners didn't trademark Aloha Poke first? Well, I, I think that that's something that has been made very clear by Natasha Kahele herself. Aloha in and of itself is such an incredibly fundamentally core value of Kanaka Maoli culture, lifestyle, and living. Uh, it's one of those things where can you trademark hello? You know, can you bully somebody from for utilizing the word hello? But it's it's even deeper than that. What aloha means is it's more than hello and goodbye and love, like so many people have described it. The reason why it's such a complex word is because it's a complex philosophy that goes much deeper than that. And I've described it as my own kupuna, and not everybody agrees with this, but my own kupuna have shared with me that just take a look at the name, look at the word. Um, Alo is what it means is uh, to be in the presence of, and ha is the breath of life. And so aloha means to recognize and be in the presence of life itself. And so when you are saying aloha to somebody, you are saying, I recognize your deep and fundamental core humanity. And that is something that no one can own. 
and no one can trademark. And people in Hawaii understand that fundamentally and deeply. And it required a Chicago company who is literally cashing out on another people's culture to demonstrate that because they clearly don't understand the word, they clearly don't understand the concept, and they clearly don't understand Kanaka Maoli. And uh, what does that mean when you connect the two words, um, aloha, poke? Is it like, explain it when you put the two together. Poke itself is a traditional food. And so with the, the thing that's kind of really interesting when you look at what's happening with this particular guy, um, Zach Friedlander, he might not be the current owner anymore, but he is actually, uh, he spearheaded the entire campaign, which included uh, going after these uh, Hawaiian families. And so what he's done is he's taken this food that is a traditional food and, and really done some interesting things to it. Now, I'm not opposed to fusion types of foods, and I'm not opposed to that, but what he's doing is is genuinely not poke. So here's this long history of the exploitation of traditional peoples, where they want our food, they want our language, they want our culture, but they want to discard the people themselves. So together, if you put the words aloha and poke together, it in itself doesn't mean anything more significant than the name. The name is significant. It's in and of itself. So, I mean, the word aloha is significant in and of itself, and poke is significant in and of itself. And either one of those represent a long history of subjugation, oppression uh, of our peoples. I don't think he had any clue that our language was illegal in the schools from 1987. And the reason why he, we, he doesn't know that is he has absolutely no connection to Hawaii itself. Mm. Right. What is traditional poke then? If uh, explain explain that to me and um, maybe how it's changed and become interesting. Well, I think that this is the the, the key elements of American poke is that they are uh, exemplified by this Friedlander gentleman. He's somebody that's never been to Hawaii, never tasted real poke, and really is completely uninterested in it. And so the food that they're deserving isn't, you know, sometimes some what they do is pretty good. A lot of times it's pretty scary. Uh, <laughs> so to explain poke and what it is, poke is, is really one of our um, most delicious dishes that has, you know, taken uh, the culinary world by storm simply because it's so delicious. And you see it in... Uh, and some of the uh, some of the great documentaries um, by some of our uh, you know so, so our celebrity chefs uh, that are out there, and they just go when they try the poke, they're like, oh my god, this is so incredibly delicious. And then people see it from afar, I'm like, oh my gosh, I want to try it. And then they try to make you know kind of fantasize about what it is, and that's what the vast majority of Americans have tasted. True poke is historically it's called, it means to like to slice and to cut crosswise are also um, kind of, uh, it can mean to be cubed. And so the food itself is, it can come in a variety of different things, but it's mostly seafood. And when you have seafood and you cut it and you cube it, it's usually flavored and seasoned and marinated into um, some special sauces. But the primary core component of it is very fresh, very clean uh, flavors and very an excellent seafood. Now, the other thing that's very beautiful about it is is the current form of poke 
is actually often a fusion of all of these different cultures uh, that have come together in Hawaii in a really beautiful way. What they're doing is actually closer to a dish called chirashi, which is a Japanese uh, rice dish with, uh, with sushi on top of it. And then you can add vegetables and other different things like that. There's also uh, some other dishes that are kind of similar, but they kind of come together in, uh, in these flavors. Often one of the most common flavors that are added to poke nowadays is sesame seed oil. And that has a lot of uh, Asian influences as well as uh, soy sauce or what we call shoyu over here. If you go to a Hawaii poke place, you can actually have dozens and dozens of choices and variations on the theme in which we add different types of vegetables, different types of flavors, different types of seaweed. There's much more of a traditional uh, twist on it. They also have uh, different types of vegetables that they might add. But it's an incredibly delicious dish that really comes from our place as a culture. It's it's unfortunate that people are around, like particularly, like say for an Albuquerque, I'm, I have a feeling that you haven't uh, really tried poke, and it's unfortunate. Anybody who's tried one of those places like Aloha Poke Company, when they actually try poke, and it's completely different, they just get blown away by the flavors. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that's poke. Uh, can you explain a little bit more about uh, Hawaiian Native Hawaiian uh, traditional food? Sure. Um, over the past twenty five years, I've been really fortunate to be a part of this incredible food sovereignty movement that grew out of our own Hawaiian cultural renaissance. At the turn of the century, when they when they threw an act of war illegally. Uh, occupied and overthrew our uh, independent Hawaiian nation, which was a global power with embassies all over the world, 99% literacy rate, and a nationalized health system, uh, nationalized uh, uh, school system. We had all of these incredible uh, things that people really have no idea uh, that we had. What happened was then they just systematically and... uh, and, and very traumatically dismantled and destroyed those during a period of martial law. So but one of the things that they did was they attacked our lands, and then, and then because they diverted resources away, they, they attacked our foods. So over the past 20 or 30 years, the thing that has really happened is we've had a massive revitalization of, of uh, traditional um, Hawaiian foods because a lot of our people didn't know how to eat them and how to cook them. Poke was one of the ones that actually survived through all of the subjugation and oppression. Uh, but there are a bunch of other foods that hadn't done as well. One of them is, is kalo. Now, kalo is considered to be the older sibling in our uh, genealogical uh, stories of, uh, of the Kanaka Maui people. Kalo is the older sibling of the Hawaiian people who is still born and planted in the earth, and then from him grew the first kalo. And when he, we started revitalizing and reclaiming our land and water. Then we started reclaiming our traditional foods, and we started growing them. And when we started growing them, we found out that a lot of our people didn't know how to cook or eat our own traditional foods, except for things like poke. So what we did is we then revitalized our entire food sovereignty system, which is called, uh, the movement is called the Ipono movement, and we've reclaimed our foods as well as our language. And so here we have a perfect example of this struggle in which both the language and the food 
has come together in this struggle. And this is a big reason why people are so, so intense by this whole situation is because getting to the place that we are at with our food, with our language, with our culture has, has been an incredibly traumatic and long, hard fought fight. Maybe can you name uh, maybe just a couple of ingredients? I know you mentioned, um, you're about to mention taro, taro? Uh, as far as ingredients, it's a type of different food that we eat? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the the fundamental uh, basis of food of our baseline starch is kalo, or also known as taro coliensis, is a food that is, it's really a superfood. And I'll tell you why. Kalo is the highest yield per acre of any crop on the planet. It's also hypoallergenic. There's never been a history of anybody being allergic to the food. The problem is that what can happen is it, there's a calcium oxalate that crystals in the kalo. So if you don't cook it long enough, it can make it It's like really scratchy, but that's not an allergy. So if you cook it and prepare it properly, we have never, as a physician, I can vouch for this. Uh, we've never had a documented history of allergy to this food. Now, that's really incredible. Now, the other thing that's important about this, about kalos to understand is that it also is one of the most complete foods on the planet. You can eat everything from the root all the way to the tops of the leaves, and it's all edible. And if you're forced to choose one food in the world, this is the most complete nutritional packet out of any one single plant. So it's an incredible food. We also prepare it in a way in a po- as poi where it literally fueled our ability to go across the ocean because if we prepare it properly, you can actually keep it for weeks and months without it going bad. Other types of foods that are key uh, components to our, our diet are, of course, bananas. Uh, there are fruits called like ohia ai, which is one of our indigenous uh, native fruits over here that you really can't find anywhere else. Ulu, uh, that's one of the other starches that we have, and that's also known as breadfruit, uwala, which is varieties of sweet potato. Those are our starches, and they're all much more complex and healthier than rice or wheat or noodles. Our vegetables include a wide variety of all these different leaves. There's like literally hundreds of different uh, vegetables. One of my favorite is ho'io, which is a uh, fiddle uh, fiddlehead, the fern uh, fiddlehead, the new shoots coming out from the fern. And you, we usually mix that up with a delicious mixture of of a citrus or a vinegar, soy sauce, garlic, chili pepper, tomatoes, and onions, and a little bit of usually what we call a dried um, kind of shellfish called opai that's one of our native species over here. A wide variety of uh, different uh, seaweeds, if you know, we're in the middle of the Pacific. So our vegetables don't just come from the from the land, they also come from the ocean. One of our most celebrated uh, seaweeds is called limukohu. Then we have a wide variety of nuts. One of the things that go into the poke is a roasted nut called a kukui nut. And you roast it and you add some uh, salt to it. It's a nut that's bursting in flavor. And you use it to season fish or meat or, or vegetables or greens. And it's an incredible plant. It's so delicious, but you have to be really careful. It's also one of our medicines uh, that you can utilize. If you eat too much, you have to be careful that the, the medicinal properties don't overwhelm you. Mm. And that's really important to understand is that we understand as Kanakamoli, you know, our traditional healing practices, where that water was the first uh, medicine and food was the second, 
you know, ex- good, healthy exercise was a third, and ceremony in your spiritual life was the fourth medicine. Mm-hmm. And this is something that we are reclaiming as well. So understanding each one of those foods are our traditional medicines. Awesome. All right, cool. Well, thank you so much for explaining some of that. I know, you know, I've never been to Hawaii, but, you know, so many pictures um, that I've seen, it just looks like everything is so lush and green and edible. It's like, you know, a lot of people mm-hmm. describe Hawaii as a as a paradise. H- how does that paradise image, you know, negatively affect uh, uh, Kanaka Maoli? You, you explained just a little bit, but do you want to uh, build on that a little more? Sure. So one of the reasons why they overthrew our kingdom was because of the very important military strategic uh, placement it has. It's like right smack dab in the middle of the Pacific, and we have one of the most incredible harbors in the world called Pearl Harbor um, by Americans, but is uh, is really uh, our traditional names are Waimomi and Pu'uloa. That's one of the sources of oppression and destruction upon our lands. It's extensive. But another one that came, went hand-in-hand hand with that, and part of the reason why they also wanted to require acquire us, is because of that so-called paradise life that you see around you. That people would come to Hawaii, and they would look at it and see such incredible beauty, instead of simply just enjoying it and appreciating it, want to own it, devour it, and have it for theirs, and not share it with anybody like this guy. <laughs> didn't want to share the word aloha with with literally thousands of, corp- of businesses that utilize that same word. So when you are such a coveted people, when you are such a coveted land, they really wanted from the very beginning, just like with the First Nations on Mokuhonu, or as we call it, or, or um, the continent of the United States, they wanted our land. And we as a people were an inconvenience that they had no problems with disposing by any means necessary. That exploitation of land theft, where our lands were stolen and our, and our, and our country was, was destroyed, was partially because of that covetous gaze. And that covetous gaze continues to this day um, by some of the most powerful people on the planet. And those include people like Oprah has extensive properties here. Uh, we had a, just had a really big fight with, uh, with uh, Mark Zuckerberg, who is one of the most well-off people on the planet. These are the people that want to come and live in Hawaii. And what does that mean for us as Kanaka Maoli? It means that half of our people cannot afford to live here. Mm-hmm. We have 677,000 people of Kanaka Maoli ancestry, and only half of them are actually here. And most of them want to be here too, you know, but they can't afford to live here. The ones who live here struggle. We have probably some of the highest cost of living with, with, with also some of the lowest paying jobs. We are only 20% of the population, and we uh, represent about 50 to 80% of the, the incarcerated population. And those who have been studying uh, African-American history and struggles realize that a lot of the structural racism, racism uh, which, is, which is mirrored here in Hawaii, is responsible for uh, this dis- disproportionate. It's not that we're more criminal. In addition, we have the worst health statistics, and we also have the highest rates of uh, home houselessness. We don't call it homeless because... We have a home. Uh, we have some of the highest rates of houselessness. So you have all of these people from all over the world just rushing to Hawaii, wanting to have it, desiring this so-called paradise. And the, the end result, by bureaucracy and technicality, like the, how they said use this trademark, our people are getting either forced out or those who, who do continue to remain here uh, subjugated and oppressed. Mm-hmm. 
So what would be your message to uh, visitors or for people who are hungry for a taste of Hawaii? I guess, what's your, what's your message to poke consumers, Hawaii consumers? Well, my message is don't come unless you're invited. If you are going to bring value, if you're going to come in and make this place better and more beautiful, then offer something that is deep and real of yourself. And when that happens, we do have aloha. We're very happy to have people come here. But there's people who just come and they just continue to take and take and take. So my message is, if you come here, you need to come with humility. You need to come honoring, respecting the people, the Kanakamali people, the, the, the people of this land. And I think that um, you should be invited. And uh, do you think we'll ever get to a point where we stop sharing our culture and our food with outsiders? I mean, do you think we we got to start keeping secrets? Well, we already have. Our most precious and sacred places, I mean, you can look at what happened at Standing Rock. You know, the people of that land knew where the burial sites were, knew where the traditional sites were. Mm-hmm. So we've had to hide these things. We've had, and part of the um, part of why we still have these cultural uh, practices is because we have hidden them. And this is something that we as Kanaka Maoli are trying to fight for. That you know, there's certain things that we have shared and. We want to make very clear that just because we've shared them doesn't mean that they own them. It doesn't mean that they belong to them. And in fact, I think this this whole situation has put a, put us resoundingly on the map with the business industry. You know, you can't take things from the Kanakamali people um, because we're we're going to make a noise. What uh, I would want people to understand is that it's more than just about food. It's more than just about language. It's more than just about, uh, you know, a typical trademark business. This is something that is happening, the corporatization of not just our peoples, although ours are the most besieged, the most beleaguered, the most affected. This is really about everyone looking at the heart and soul of the future that they want for themselves. The big argument is that this is a common business practice that, you know, they trademark and they protect their business. But I say, hey, you know, at a certain point, if you don't look around and see what's happening around you, the increasing loss of rights, the increasing privatization of what's happening in the world and the increasing dehumanization of all peoples, that one day if we don't fight for this, fight for what we believe is right, one day... We're going to look for kindness, and we're only going to find corporations. That was Dr. Kalama Neheyu. I'm Andy Murphy from the Navajo Nation. I'm the host and producer of the Toasted Sister podcast. This podcast is supported by the Kiwanek Broadcast Corporation. And if you want to hear the full hour Native America Calling episode on this topic, head on over to NativeAmericaCalling.com. And music was created by C.W. Ayon. Check out his music at C.W. That's C.W.A.Y.O.N.com.